The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of The Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. The Fed holds fast, the market blinks, things get crazy. Oh, this stinks. Oil prices are up, gold and silver making a run. And we have a great guest with us today. His name is Frank Curzio from Curzio Research. All this and much more on episode number 789 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. I don't know if they're actually making a big run, but they are turning around pretty well. We saw that the unemployment numbers that came out on Friday were, I guess, in line with expectations, although there was some hope that maybe we'd see a bit more softening in the overall, and that's not happening. Employment is still pretty strong, and that is going against the grain of what the Fed is looking for, and therefore markets are just out of whack. They don't know what to do with all this. And how could it be that we've seen 75 basis point move after move after move and nothing seems to be slowing down? Truth is, it is. We are seeing a lot of slowdown in a variety of areas. I'm going to talk with Frank about that because I'm seeing that in certain parts of the economy, it is being affected dramatically. It's just not the areas that the Fed is looking for. They want to crush inflation and crush inf inflation and employment and just it's not working the way they, they hope for. Problem is, in my opinion, and humble as it may be, that maybe we are in a differing kind of circumstance than we've been in the past. And maybe, just maybe, possibly, I'm just thinking about it, maybe they should be using different metrics. But they won't. We know that. Hey, I'm Andrew Horowitz, and I am the host of this wonderful podcast, The Disciplined Investor. We're here each and every week talking about things that are important to you regarding your financial security. And when it comes to that, of course, investing in markets, whatever place that you decide to do it in, whether it is in stocks or bonds or crypto or cash or housing or even in commodities, whatever it may be, those are the things that we cover here each and every week. So make sure to subscribe. Give us a big uh, a rating boost if you can, if you're on Apple or Spotify or Amazon Music or wherever else you get your podcast from. Please put in a review Put in a decent review if you can. If you can't, well, I'd love to see that as well. But make it an effort to do so so that we know what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, how we can be better. I also am the co-host of DH Unplugged. Myself and John C. Dvorak get together each and every Tuesday night, and we talk about things that are also related to finance in a slightly different way. We take a little bit more of a poke at it, look at it from a different angle, a different side, trying to understand exactly what it all means. Now, I, I think that, uh, and that's dhunplugged.com, by the way. I, I think that really the focus we have to get to right now is, is, is how do I deal with this environment right now with so many unknowns and uncertainties and volatility and where am I going to lean? It looks like the oil prices are moving up. Should I be in my energy stocks? It looks like the technology just can't get it going, 
but maybe they're flushed out. We saw this great October, this massive move. Dow Jones Industrial Average actually finished up 14% for the month of October. Extraordinary. But where do we go in November? Even though seasonality is on our side, are we going to see these follow-throughs? One thing that I can tell you is if, you, in fact, you are long-term investors, you want to think long-term. And I know that is sometimes very difficult because you say it and you think it and you believe it and you act upon it, but then all of a sudden you say, oh, my, did I make a giant mistake? Ah, oh, no. So I wrote a piece that I sent out this week, and it was all about the idea that, you know, what are the most important tenets of being a long-term investor? I'm not suggesting you need to be. Some people just can't, and that's okay also. But if you're going to be a long-term investor, be a long-term investor. The idea, the old adage, you know, it's time in the market and not timing of the market that makes for significant wealth. The idea that, you know, if you're thinking about getting out and getting and, and doing it, what's your plan to get back in? I hearken back to the pandemic. I had a friend call me. He has several advisors, but I'm a friend of his. And he said, Andrew, what do I do? I said, well, what are your advisors telling you? The advisor telling me to stay the course, that things are possibly going to get worse. But you know what? You got to you got to you got to be in it to win it. You got to you got to, you know, think long term. And I just can't do what he said. I said, well, if it's going to make you have you know problems, if the markets drop significantly and you're not going to be able to sleep and your health is going to be a concern and all the things that go along with that, then you know what? I want you to think about, well, it's OK to take the money out of the market. But I said to him, listen. Two of your advisors have told you not to do so. I'm not going to go against them, but I'm going to tell you what you can do. If, in fact, you decide to throw away their advice and do it on your own. What you need to do is if you're going to sell, you have to, before you do so, have a plan. When am I going to admit that I am wrong and go back in? Because the problem that exists is that you go out of the market, you sell out, and you never feel it's the right time to go back in. If it goes down even further, what do you say? Oh, it's going even lower. I'm not getting in yet. If it goes up, you say, you know what? It went up too much. It's too hot right now. There's no way that I should be investing in that right now. And the cycle just goes on forever where you never find that exact spot to get back in again. So if, in fact, you're one of those that decides that, you know, I want to be out, what do you do? You have to have a plan to get back in before you make any substantial moves. Make that a, you know, commit to that. Think about that. That's something that we've done for people that have taken their money out of the market through our dollar cost averaging programs. Makes a lot of sense. But do yourself a favor. Don't shoot yourself in the foot while trying to save yourself. I think that's um, some very good and, and important insights that we have going on uh, that you really should focus on right now. So what's going on with regard to the markets right now? What's happening with uh, where we are? Of course, we saw some of the downstroke of what happens after you get that big run-up, especially if that gamma squeeze that we saw last week. And the fact is that we saw a lot of uh, short covering that went on, some excitement into the Fed, some, you know, I would call it squaring up into what happened. The Fed basically threw cold water on all of that and things went back to lousy again. And we, of course, have the optimism that it's going to be hopefully a decent end of the year and maybe we can get through all this, that China is talking about reopening again, that maybe there's a pullback in Russia from Ukraine. All these things are going on and giving a bit of optimism 
right now to markets. But I think that some of that is not necessarily unfounded, but it's, we need to be tempered, tempered, temper the the optimism because a lot more that is behind all this and the Fed seems really dead set under all the conditions to break the back of inflation. And if, in fact, it means breaking the back of the markets, Powell doesn't seem to care. And he's going to be in for a while. So a lot of people have also hung their hats on the idea that next week we have uh, the midterms that will be finished. And this could be a Republican sweep. And if so, wow, it's going to be great for markets. Eh, Maybe. Maybe. But again, I think there's a lot more behind the scenes that is going on with regard to rates and and, and taking liquidity out of the markets than just a political change uh, of standing. You know, if in fact the Republicans do gain strength and take over and we get a lame duck and we get a stalled government, which is mixed, you know, that no one has any, any absolute power to make any rules, that is usually a good thing for markets because there's a lack of ability to get anything done. And when Congress does something, they usually screw it up. <laughs> That's the fact. So markets do favor a condition when there is no one particular party that has control. That's interesting to think about. So with that, I thought we would get into our discussion. Let me ring them up. Let's bring them on. Here we go. And our guest today is Frank Curzio from Curzio Research. He is a fan favorite, a listener, like must have, because a lot of people get, Frank, they get they get like shakes when you're not around. Last time you were on was August, and a lot has happened since then. So what do you think we do is about catching, what do you think about catching up on some of the things that have happened from then till now? Uh, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Love coming on. And man, so much has happened since then. Right. Oh. Which is which is incredible. Uh, and you have to be willing, I think, for investors where this isn't a market where you could be stubborn and have your thesis and you like a stock and you're like, you, know, you got to really pay attention to what's coming out because you are going to see a destruction in demand like you've never seen it before heading into next year. Uh, it's happening now. It's not even close. It's probably in the third inning. It's going to get a lot worse and you have to prepare. The interesting and, can I just interrupt? That's very interesting that you say that mm-hmm. because there's a lot of. There's so much clear evidence from the players that are on the forefront, like a FedEx, for example, right? I mean, clearly starting to see things. Or other companies that are talking about like, wow, I mean, we can't even give you Outlook versus what most people look at, which is the, you know, the inventory levels or, you know, price to price to inventory, you know, sales to inventories, or maybe even some of the things that are going on that are backward looking. And it's really creating, I think it's painting a very poor picture. Don't you? Uh, it's creating a poor picture when you, when you're watching CNBC, which most people do. And I do as well, because that gauges sentiment. That's why I watch it. But just listening to, to what some people are saying uh, is kind of scary to me, right? You have to be careful because a lot of these people, uh, you know, you and I have been doing this for a very long time, Andrew. I've been doing this for 30 years now. I grew up, my late dad did it for 30 years before me. So you know, maybe at five years old, I was talking about this. But really, my experience is, <laughs> extends to 30 years, right? So right. that's how old I am now. Mm-hmm. Most people, even a lot of these people you see, they only li- if you have 10 years of experience in any industry, that's a lot, a lot of experience. However, if you have 10, 12 years of experience, the only experience you had being in this market is when interest rates were relatively zero and you had a Fed there to spend as much money as it possibly can to keep the markets inflated. It's why when we saw the credit crisis, that they spent $480 billion. 
uh, and they lowered rates to zero. If, and that was able to fuel the market, and we didn't go through massive, massive pain. It was pretty quick. I mean, 2008, stocks started roaring back, and then you know, 2009, they fell again and finally hit a bottom, and then we went higher. And a lot of that was brought in because the Fed injected $480 billion. It was, the top started out at $700 billion. It was $480 billion wide up spending, which was unbelievable amount. Now you have COVID, and they just spent $11 trillion plus. I get at the beginning, you didn't know how bad this was. Our businesses were forced to shut down. Nobody models for 90% declines in revenues in, in a couple months when you shut things down. I get it. Mm. Uh, but then everything, when the vaccines were out by the end of the year, uh, everything started getting back to normal. You're looking very early on in 21, asset prices started going to all-time highs. The Fed kept rates at zero, and they continued to flood the money with another $3 trillion in cash. Amazing. All of this is coming out of the market now. The Fed is doing everything they can. They haven't really started shrinking their balance sheet, which nobody's talking about, but they raise rates considerably, and companies are doing okay now. You brought up FedEx. This is important. FedEx came out and said, we have no idea. No idea. That's exactly right. right. <laughs> Going into the holiday season, and these guys had AI on their systems for the last 15 years probably. right? You're hearing about AI in the last five years. These guys know every trend and everything. They're like, we have no idea. And then UPS came out, and they beat earnings. And people are like, wait a minute. Maybe it's just the difference between FedEx and UPS. There's not. The difference between UPS is companies are drastically raising prices. You're paying this. You go to the store. You're going to be paying more right now than any other time, right? So they, they're still – even you know Starbucks reported. You're seeing them – revenues at all-time highs. They're raising prices considerably. And as a consumer and as an investor, individual investor, you could find, look at this data just by paying attention. Right? You knew there was inflation, right? When, when mm -hmm. you know, last year, when, when the city, and sorry to say it that way, Powell was just saying, hey, there's no inflation. We're which fine. Idiot, wait, 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 which idiot are we talking about? There's a lot of Powell. idiots. So, oh, Powell idiot. Okay. Powell. Idiot number saying one. Everything that he learned for 40 years, economic theory, everything that he studied, all the methods he followed for 40 years, told him last year, Jackson Hole, when, when rates are 5%. That's going to be transitory. Yeah. One year later, yeah. it's the fast. We've never raised rates in a modern Fed ever by 75 basis points twice. We've never done that. We're up to four times now. But how come we believe that it's true what he says now if you're so wrong then? Isn't it possible he's wrong again I, I, now? I, he's not qualified. All right. That's a good point. I'm not saying it to be, I'm not saying it to get credit. All right. I, I, you know, because you can destroy the Fed and everybody loves you, right? It, it's not about that. It's about, like Bernanke was the perfect guy. He he was he knew everything what happened with the Great Depression and what caused it. And M one fell and two fell. Velocity of money. He knew what caused it and created. It and he was fit. and he got a Nobel Prize for it. He was fit. And he and people may want to hate you and say it, but they had to do what they had to do. Or unemployment would have went through thirty percent. And it, I mean, you look, the major banks you wouldn't be able to take your money out. I mean, people don't realize I was on Wall Street then. You couldn't. You had trouble taking your money out of banks. That's how bad it was. But Everything Frank, was the preposterous, frozen. you know, Frank and I, so Frank and I talk on the phone just like we're talking now, right? So Frank, Frank talks, he's very strong. He can keep talking. I can talk. I'm very strong. I'll interrupt him. He'll interrupt me. That's what everybody loves about when we get together, right? So here's the thing, Frank, that's really funny. It's preposterous. Think about this. You just laid out why Bernanke was so much better of a central bank chair and an economist maybe, and how he knew everything that was going on. He missed the financial crisis. Completely. <laughs> Completely. Completely. And he and was but, qualified. But the thing is, is they were asleep at the wheel. They had no idea of that, you know, the, the triple credit ratings. It wasn't like people think subprime caused that. It wasn't subprime. Subprime is a small part. It was the leveraging of subprime by 30X, where all you needed to see is a little bit of decline in home prices. 
And it, it, the system made sense because everyone could sell loans because it didn't matter what you saw. You need a library card and you were able to sell that loan to Fannie and Freddie or whoever. <laughs> it didn't matter. Just the whole system was broken and it was yeah. a lot going on underneath. And, and even you know, they had no, they had no idea. They had no idea that AIG was insuring all this stuff. So they so all which is, these banks, which again is unbelievable. Unbelievable. So they all made a fortune off it. Then anyway, so the market get about to get annihilated. They all went to AIG and said, sure, I'll insure all you guys. That's fine. That's great. And then they, you know, nobody knew that AIG would absolutely fail and you, you're not going to make good on all the short bets that you made so much money on long for the past couple of years and it collapsed the whole system, right? So I'm not saying that, you know, whether you like him or not, I'm saying that at that time, he understood what he needed to do in order and what was, the system was broken. You needed to shore up the banks and that was a big part because the banks decided to lend money to who they wanted to. This time around, they bypassed the banks, they bypassed the economy, they handed checks directly to people and they didn't think it was going to result in inflation. Again, to the original point, you everybody knew anyone that pays the bills knows that we had massive inflation except for the Fed, right? We all saw it. Now is your chance to look at everything you're paying for. If you look at the difference between UPS and UPS came out and beat estimates, and it was good, it's because they raised rates, raised rates considerably. So did Pepsi, so did Coca-Cola. And supply chains are easing. I get data on all this stuff. So anyone's telling you supply chains and this and that, they're not missing it. You're going to see a massive destruction in demand. The companies are still, some companies are still going to have pricing power and raise until they can't raise anymore. But what does that tell you when companies are raising prices? Inflation is going to be here a lot longer than you expect. I could bring up 15 or 20 different things that are showing that we are seeing deflation and different things, whether it's lumber price or whatever. It doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is what the Fed looks at. It's the CPI and unemployment. The CPI is not going down anytime soon. It's going to moderate a little bit, but core CPI, excluding food and energy, has not even peaked yet. It hasn't peaked yet. It went up last month. It's probably going to go up this month as well. But the way they calculate that index where three things account for 55%, it's rentals, it's food, and it's energy. Food is going higher. Energy, we have to replace strategic oil reserves. It's going higher. We we haven't seen a decline in food prices, especially with the war in Russia and grain and stuff like that. And when you look at rentals, the housing market, you're seeing prices come down. People can't afford housing, but there's a supply shortage and people live to need to live someplace. So they're going to have to rent, which is going to keep rentals elevated. They're not going to come down as fast as they Well, think. especially because, right, not only, if, if, even if there wasn't a shortage, the fact is that it's tough to get a mortgage payment at a decent rate or decent price when it's, housing prices really haven't come down that much yet. And well, they've come down, not where we but live not, in Florida. Not from the differential between no. three, three and a half, four percent mortgage and 7%. No, and I mean, they're still up incredibly if you look year over year, right? I mean, in most places, but it's down. You can see houses down 20% where someone sold it from three months ago, and you'll see that a lot right now. But still, it's been up incredibly. It's been up in Florida. I think it's up like 20% year, yeah. 20% last year, 20% this year, you know? So right. now it's coming so down amazing. where, and we were talking about that a couple of days ago, right? When, when we talked, it's just, you know. Yeah, it may not, but is it, is it, could we, could we just for, the, the the thought of what's going on and why is it going to be this this demand destruction? Could we just very simply consolidate this whole discussion and say that during the pandemic, when everything was shut down, the government came in with enough money and low enough rates and liquidity to keep the economy essentially on even par. And now the opposite of that is true. Therefore, all the benefits that were afforded due to the excess amount of stimulus and funds and things that happened are actually being withdrawn. It's like going from high tide to low tide. Exactly. Is, is, it, is it that simple? 
to me, it is going to be that simple. But here's like people might say, Frank, the market's getting crushed and some stocks are down so much. And there are some stocks. We can cover that at, at the end. Some things that I like. Uh, but the reason why I think we have a, a long way to go and a lot further come down is because in 2019, I thought the market was going to crash in 2019. Because when you look at 2018, so if you look at, I'm going to get a little technical, but it's important because this is the thing that's not factored in. It's earnings. And earnings drive stock prices. That's how it's always been. It's going to be that way going forward. It hasn't, you know, our future earnings are growth. You just took away the two biggest growth uh, things in the world, right? China, still COVID policy. Who knows? Just you know, real estate data out of there. Everything's terrible. They couldn't even announce their GDP data on time, right? And everyone's debunking it because you could actually see the exports and know it's a lot slower than that. And then you had the Fed and the Fed's gone, right? The Fed's not there anymore. Those are the growth engines. That's where you get the growth multiple from. So now mm -hmm. you have to look at the fundamentals. If you look at the fundamentals and you look at earnings, in 2019, we peaked at $159. Now, what does that mean? When you when they say the P ratio for the SP 500 is 17 times, they take all the earnings pulled together and they take the price of the SP 500 and divide it by earnings. And that earnings number in 2019 was 159. In 2018 is 160. So in 2018, the market went up from 2000 from it, it through 2019, it went up 25%, even though earnings weren't growing. So we were peaking at earnings. I really thought, and I created this product, and I'm not, you know, again, this isn't like shameless plug or anything. It's called Money Flow Trader. We buy long dated puts because I really thought the market was going to come down tremendously. And that's why when I was getting data out of COVID, when I saw China was shutting down, I'm like, and, and really was able, thanks to, to people listening to Wall Street Unplugged podcast, and you have that network as well. I was interviewing guys that were on lockdown in China in January and, mm. and Europe mm. and knew. I didn't know how bad to the extent it was, but China shut down three weeks uh, into, at the end of January, and the market was still at all time highs halfway through February. So we were able to get out of a lot of stuff because it was really because I thought earnings would peak. And then when I saw that growth was out of the way. Anyway, the point is, if you look at that number at 159 at the end of 2019, then what happened? We had COVID, okay? 20s a watch. All of a sudden, earnings shot up to over $200. Now this year, they're expected to be $223. From what we peaked at 2019. What's changed? The only thing that's changed is we, we injected $11 trillion yeah. into the market, right? And, and we had and zero rates. rates. And rates came down so you can have multiple expansion. But that was a 2020-2021 story. But now, but, to, but now you're seeing like where well, you're looking at earnings and estimates. So 2022, we still have one more quarter left after this. We'll look at $223 in earnings. Next year, they're expected to grow 7% in 2020. Well, it's always 7% because right? that's what they just do. They just stick 7%, 8% on But that's them. the actual – but it's important. You're right. But that's, it's a number that that's, – that's a consensus. Okay, that's a consensus out there. Okay, and it's important when you say like, you know, this company beats it. It's a consensus, and that's what companies trade on. Right now, they're trading on two hundred thirty-seven dollars in earnings for twenty twenty-three. How are they going to get even close to that? And that's been revised because we saw earnings come down. How are they going to be even close to that? When two thousand nineteen, we had interest rates below two percent, and we peaked at one sixty. What happened? The eleven trillion and zero interest rates. We're going to be above four and a half percent the entire year next year. On average, we're going to average over 4.5% easily, well over 4%, and we could even go 5% because they said they're not stopping. They just got to slow the pace. Yeah, right? so this is, a, this is a market in its entirety discussion, which is very different than individual stocks, right? So stock picking. Well, it is and it's not. No, no, it no, because 80% of a stock's movement can be attributable to the direction of a market, of course. We understand that. And, of course, we also understand that a great stock in a bad stock market doesn't do well, just as well as a crappy stock does well in a good stock market, right? Correct. But, but – Let's just do some very simple back-of-the-envelope math here. Let's use – and I'm going to write this down because I'm going to make sure I write it correctly. We have – let's just go with, for the heck of it, $200 of earnings, okay? Just just go with me here, right? 
$200 of earnings, which would, by the way, not be a big reduction from where we were. It'd be a bit, but not terrible, right? Wouldn't be like mm -hmm. awful. And if we say, okay, let's just take some numbers. Let's take a 15, let's take an 18, let's take a 20. 15 being the long-term multiple that is assigned to the S&P 500 through very good and bad times. 18 being kind of like uh, above average, maybe as people talk about modern day, right? You follow what I'm saying? 20 mm -hmm. being a little bit on the high end. And let's go down to 12 for the heck of it and talk about that is usually what's assigned, give or take a few points, during a heavy recessionary periods. Are we in agreement with that? Yes. I mean, so we take the S&P 500, which is what, 3750, whatever. Uh, and if we take 3750. Well, let's just do multiple. Well, you're going to do it now. Okay, yeah. yeah, but but how do you get to that multiple, right? So say if we take yeah. the 237 earnings. It's down, like 18 and a half. So 18 and a half times earnings, which is which is much, which is higher, right? So if you're looking at the multiple right now based on where earnings are going to be, but if you take that multiple and bring it down to, you know, 200 or even 180, again, we peaked at 160 without this and the, the, we, the Fed's doing everything they can to reduce liquidity, get, try to get unemployment much, much, much higher, which we're not seeing. So that they reduce the liquidity, they're going to continue to raise rates, taking as much as they can at $11 trillion out of that system, we're going to be below $200 in earnings. Now, here's the thing. You're right. When you look historically, you can say, well, earnings grow around 7%. Yeah, that's what the market, right? That's when the market grows as well. So you see earnings grow 7% with a market growing earnings year over year. If they're not growing, the PE should be more like 10, 11, 12 historically. Well, let's, just go, let's, go, let's go through my exercise. Let's go through my yeah. exercise. Let's start with a 15, which is kind of this long-term average, which mm -hmm. is meaningless because that means that long-term, you could have a 20 and a 12 in there and average that. But a long-term average of 15, very simple math. This is very simple. 200 is the number we just said as a number. We threw it out there. Times 15, we're talking about a 3,000 level in the S&P 500. Yes. 18, 3,600. 20, 4,000. 200, uh, two, uh, 12, 2400. Question then is we're at 3750 right now, right? And everybody is hysterical about the amount of pain that certain areas of the market have taken already. But if we just simply go down to a 15 multiple with 200 EPS, which is a slight reduction from where we are here, we're talking about a $3,000, 3000 level on the S&P 500, which is another 15, 18% from here. Yes. At least. That's if you believe the 200 number. Like I said, yeah, it was 116. The, the, right, there's a lot of variables in here. But I just want to explain to the people listening of, you know, you start hearing these people talking about, we, you know, like a Jeremy Siegel. Jeremy Siegel here, always talking about stocks, a long one. You know, misses every downturn or misses this or that. You know, he's not a, a, a timer. But what does he do? He pretty much puts a 10% increase on the stock market each and every year. And we've been there long term, it eventually gets to that point. But he's even talking about like, you know, oh, we can get to some of these guys, 4,400. How do you even get to 4,400? Well, we're going, we're going to go, if you look at seasonal trends, right? And this is important. And you're looking at October and why they, why the markets really took off in October. Okay. A lot of short covering, a lot of, you know, whatever, the, just uh, program trading. But if you're looking even to November seasonally, when it comes to mutual funds, what do you guys, what do you do when you have losses for the year? What do we do? We sell before December 31st. For mm -hmm. mutual funds, hedge funds, they have to sell before October 31st. So you saw a lot of that money come out of the market even a little bit before October, where this way you could use those losses to offset any gains you have, where real estate, oil, and stuff like that, and some of the things that did well this year. So now you're seeing a lot of money flow into the market. I just to be clear, can you just back up? Just back up, because I don't want to confuse people. Individuals mm -hmm. have 
any time up until December 31st to sell anything. Yes. You're talking about the mutual fund proprietors, the owners, the actual fund the trillions itself. Trillions in assets. Right. The trillions right. So, so, so you could sell your mutual fund on December 10th. It's the same. So, so he's not talking about that. He's talking about the mutual fund exactly. itself. The mutual fund itself for them to take. So they have to October 31st. So, uh, so now you're seeing a lot of the money that has to be put in, right? Because if it's not put in and it's in cash, they can't charge you fees on it. So you're going, you see this amount of money that's coming into the market. It's going to come in pretty much through November. That almost has to come into the market. So you're going to see these seasonal trends where money just forces itself into the market. And it's significant, right? Now you have buybacks. Companies are allowed to, they have the buyback window open. I think it's insane for these companies. I think it would be insane for Apple to buy their stock back right now at 23 times forward earnings when they're seeing a slowdown in iPhone sales, slowdown and, in consumer spending. And the, if they issue new bonds, it's a much higher rate to pay yes. for the uh, money, the, utilize the money from the bond sales to use for buybacks. Yes. So you're going to see companies buy back, try to get their earnings up. And now that buyback window is open, you're going to see there's a lot on the sidelines so that they could buy back. They're probably going to think their stocks are cheap, especially companies that are still doing okay. But look what we saw from Walmart and Target two quarters ago. Oh, Both of them out of nowhere. These are companies that have been around forever. And both of them came out and they said they, they, they usually they give you a chance. They warn ahead of time, right? We usually see that, right, uh, uh, Andrew? When yeah, companies, you, yeah, before you, they report right. the quarter, they'll say, oh, you know, we're going to miss the quarter. And this, they didn't, it happened so fast. And this is before we raised another 75 base point two times in a row, the last two months. They lowered their estimates. And those stocks saw the biggest one-day decline since the 87 market crash. Yeah, like, what happened? What happened, man? That's how fast ah, it happens. And exactly. everyone's like, oh, all right. Because <laughs> oh. you know why that happened? I'll tell you why really quick. I don't want to get technical lose your audience here. It happened because they had the greatest supply chains in the world. Those Everyone had supply chain problems because we saw $11 trillion injected in the market and everybody spent it buying more things, more things. So you know, everyone was like, holy cow, look at this demand. We're seeing record revenue across the board. They just couldn't fill the extra demand. These guys were able to find ways to fix their supply chains the quickest and got all this inventory and out of nowhere, demand stopped. And now they're sitting on massive inventory like Nike. Nike, last quarter, their inventory was up 23%. This is like two quarters ago. Then the current quarter, you would think, okay, I got to sell all this at lower prices. Their inventory increased by 44%, which was like that was $9 rough. billion. Dollars. That, that, that was very... Which is crazy, Rough. right? Because this is what happens when you fix your supply chain. This is going to happen by industry by industry. It happened to housing. They're the most interest rate sensitive. They hit, they're getting hit first, the housing market. And look around your house. Anything you buy in your house, any one of those products, those companies are going to be warning, right? Because you just shut it off. You just completely shut off. You went to a booming housing market to now we're down 50% in starts, right? So now you look around. What else? Look at the chip companies. That supply chain. Oh, concerns. that, that was something. Out of nowhere. Now they have gluts. Wait, what happened to- PC market's frozen. What happened to the, nobody can get chips to like three days later, there's a glut. Yeah. How quick, when have you seen that in your history of how I, quick I, that happened? Never, never. Never. So now what do you have? You have the autos now. Massive demand for EVs. Holy cow, they got all these orders out. And I, I just placed an order for Rivian as a joke eight, oh, 18 months ago. They said I'm not going to get a car to 2024, by the way. And I, you got to put down whatever, I think a couple hundred dollars or whatever. I just want to say the process is. Now you have, they're including- these massive demand and orders, but now a lot of these people aren't going to be able to get loans because you're going to have to, it's a much higher rate to get an right, auto loan. So right. now you've seen the auto companies. Yeah. Again, I don't- That, I don't, that happened like, with my engines on my boat. I finally got them, but I, if, if I was to have stuck with the Mercuries, I would have had to wait till February. And the price was 20% more, at least at this point, than I originally would have bought it for. So things are just, 
The problem is things are not normal, Frank. The, the, things are crazy. You know, there's a lot of pushing and pulling. And f- f- how about the negative, uh, uh, pro- the, the, the drop, the, the, the incredible drop in natural gas prices in Europe? All these things are telling you that, that generally speaking, the economy is not healthy. Don't be fooled by what's going on. But at the same time, you also have to be ready for all this. You have to be situated. And that is why on, for example, our global allocations, uh, we have a more of conservative posture. Frankly, no pun intended, the only thing that hasn't worked are any kind of any kind of bond exposure. But you have to be careful on your bond exposure. You have to have it short, not long. There's a lot of things you could do in all of these scenarios. So here, here's a question. You don't have to give me specifics yet, but let's try just for a moment because most people don't short, right? Most people, they just don't. Most people don't short. They, they'd rather be in cash. The things that we're seeing that are, I think, positive right now, you got to look at energy. You have to look at energy. That's a good, you know what, energy, but let's talk about that because energy was such a small part of the SP 500 earnings, which we talked about. Small. Now it's at 5% allocation for the sector in terms of revenue. It's 12% of profits this quarter. So that's the worst sector. And I hate saying, well, you strip out this year, but there's like whatever, 11 or 12 major sectors. That's one of them. That's the one sector you don't want profits to be increasing because that means your costs are going up and, and going higher. And that's a big contributor. 12% of the profits and earnings are oil companies. If you strip that out, I mean, earnings, if you're looking uh, year over year from last quarter, are down if you strip out energy 4%. They're down this year if you strip out energy a lot, even if you don't strip out energy. But one thing I want to mention too really quick because you, you know, when you talk about energy and, and, and profits, you and I cover this stuff, right? We, we cover earnings calls and we like mm-hmm. to listen to stuff like this. And I look fact set. You can go for free. I can't believe they report. They give you this report for free. Go every time. You, every time you say this, you say the same thing. You can't PDF. believe it's, free. it's amazing because <laughs> it, it's important. It's easy to see the, the markets and the earnings. In ju- three months ago, right? So you look at July. They expected growth earnings to grow ten point two percent in the third quarter, right? And this was only from three months ago, right? So now we're in the three in, in this quarter, a week before earnings season. They revise their estimates tremendously, which you guys don't see. I see it because I'm in this industry and I cover it. You see upgrades and downgrades. You don't see when companies, when JP Morgan lowers their estimates by a dollar from 550 to 450 for, for Disney ahead of the quarter. What happens is the results in comp- it was so the revisions were so low, Andrew. They only had to grow, it expected 1% growth. So now when you're seeing on TV, this company beat and this company, 70% of the companies beat estimates. If they had the original estimate from, from three months ago, 80% of the companies would have missed estimates. Yeah, I, th- that that's a and that's the old trick of Wall Street of setting bars low enough to easily at, at best jump over them because that's how it works. That that's it works. That's the game. But at the end of the day, it's still the number. So yeah. you're still seeing earnings decline. It's the actual number. So when you're saying, uh, you know, Dizzy was trading at, at 20 times earnings going into the quarter three months ago, it was really trading now at about 25 times earnings going into the quarter based on the revisions. Because the earnings is still the earnings is what you generate, right? So that's what you have to be careful of where you're seeing the bar set lower, but there's still earnings you're going to see decline dramatically. That's the one thing I don't think that's factored in, and you should prepare. If you're wrong, you're wrong. You can always hire back or do whatever, but there's a lot of companies I listen to conference calls. I listen to tons of them that are just on cloud nine, and hey, we're seeing demand. We're not seeing it that much. It happens on a dime. We've seen it. Company, look at Google. Google's numbers, I mean, these are massive companies. You look at Meta's numbers, massive, massive companies where you don't see 20% declines often. You're going to see that happen with a lot of companies. And you said you don't want to go shut the market. 
because to be honest, the thesis I have now is the same thesis I had in, in August, right? So then you go through October. If you're short, you're sleeping on the park bench. <laughs> right. But buying long dated puts and waiting a year for if you think a stock's going to fall 15% over a year, it's like shooting fish in a barrel. That's what we created. And we created a product called Money Flow Trader. And now we're seeing, you know, that description to that explode because, you know, booking tons of gains in it here and there. Again, past is not indicative of future. But if you really think we're going to have a volatile market, it's going to be crazy. Uh, it's like shooting fish in a barrel buying long dated puts right now. The the fascinating part of all this is just something you touched on. And that was, we really didn't explore it. The, the analysts on CNBC. Now, let's flush this out for a second. You know, Kramer, your old employer, is taking a lot of grief. A, a lot of grief. Yeah, right and now. he's getting, he, he's, maybe I'm wrong about this. He brings it on himself, though. He does bring it on himself, but he's looking a little unstable lately. Have you, have, I mean, he said uh, he's been, I've been fortunate, okay? I've been very, very lucky. My dad, growing up in this industry, uh, he's a pure value guy, pure value guy. He taught me all the fundamentals. And then, you know, when he passed, I went to work for Kramer, and Kramer knew him because my dad was on TV a lot back then, and they knew each other very well. Uh, and when I worked for Kramer, Kramer was a growth manager, and I learned everything about growth. Now I realize why people buy an Amazon at 40 times forward earnings, three times forward earnings, because, you know, when you have growth of 100% early on, you know, I realize that, right? And a lot of people don't. Like, I can buy a stock that's trading 25 times, 30 times forward earnings, but if they're growing 70%, it's still cheap compared to a stock that has a 5% mm -hmm. losing money sure. every year. Yeah, so the old peg it, ratio. It's a great lesson. But uh -huh. the point is, the, if you're looking at Kramer, he had the fang names. He had great names. He has access to so many CEOs, and he's great. He's a pure growth fund manager. He's the guy you want to be with when you have pure growth. This is the value market. This is a value market now. It's going to be that way for three to four years. The last time we've seen a market like this that crashed, where the Fed was actually lowering rates, right, which is fine. But when, last time we saw a market crash where the Fed didn't inject tons of money into the system was dot-com. Mm -hmm. And it took three years to recover. And they lowered interest rates from 2000 to the beginning of 2003 from 6% to one and a quarter percent. And it still took three years for that market to recover because the Fed didn't inject any money into the system. This is what we're going to see going forward. But one thing, the Fed's not lowering. The, we've never seen a market crash where the Fed continues to raise rates. That, we've never, we're an unprecedented time with, with a Fed. Wait, say that again. We've never seen a market crash when the Fed. When the Fed has been raising rates through the crash. Through the crash. Through the crash. Okay, I got gotcha. you. We, we usually see it like it, when, okay, oh, wow, you know, shit hits the fan. Okay, we got to lower. And sometimes they're late to the party like they were, and, you know, Kramer had that whole, you know, they don't know nothing and stuff. You know, we were raising rates a little bit in 2007 before we started lowering incredibly to zero. But we've never seen a market like this where interest and they're not just going higher. We've never seen this pace. And people, yeah, the, 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 the magnitude of the increases is, is shocking. <clears throat> Shocking. It's, you know, I'm, I'm talking here and people probably listen going, holy shit. I, if they listen to your podcast and they know us, I, I, I'm the most optimistic person ever. <laughs> I really am. I'll find yeah, it. I guess you guys going to fight me outside. I'm, I'm like, about to go okay, outside, hang myself, buddy. Yeah. So there are ways to make money in this. And the biggest thing is you need to understand the greatest investors in the world love this market. Markets like this don't happen often where you get a total collapse. Where in 2010, where I live in Fernandina Beach, Amelia Island, the houses here almost were all for sale. When I came here, I got lucky in 2010, bought my house, not in the water, but they were going for 400,000, 400,000 to 2 million plus now, okay, on average. 
So you don't have a market like this often. And the people who have cash and have money on the sidelines, that's how you create generational wealth is by having money when everyone's selling great assets at dirt cheap prices because they have to. And there's ways to prepare for that. You can buy puts. We, it's not even, you don't say, oh, well, there's a way to hedge your portfolio. This is something that, you know, we're booking 300% gains, 200% gains in months at a time. All you need is a nice 15% move lower in a stock, which is likely going to happen. You know, they can go higher first, but you saw the NASDAQ. NASDAQ was, you know, before Friday, you, know, you thought like, what a great October we had, but it, it, it went down tremendously after the Fed to the point where, you know, the NASDAQ was 3% off its lows. Uh, we're going to retest those lows. There's, I don't see the catalyst out there. However, there are pockets, like you said, when it comes to energy, I do like uranium. And I'm starting to look at IPOs, like companies that IPO'd over the past 18 months. Really? Companies that the public- So we talked about investors. one offline. We talked about, for example, I think, I think this is the- the mm -hmm. uh, segue into like Coinbase, for example. Yes. Correct. So Coinbase, which essentially, well, I, I shouldn't say that it has a, a corner on the market because there's Binance and, you know, there's other companies. And you have companies like Interactive Brokers and you have um, Robinhood that can actually, you can actually trade there. But uh, but Coinbase generally is, I think it's the name, it's the go-to. Is it not the go-to? Um, in, in the U.S., in the U.S. In the U.S. or, uh, yes. In the U.S., they, they're pretty much uh, yeah the go-to. If right, they do domestic. They, in in the U.S., they do retail and they do as well as institutional. Institutional. So, so here's the deal. Here's yeah, what's what the deal like on this? this so here's a company that uh, came out at a crazy IPO, and this only works if you trick the retail investors into believing stuff, right? That's why SPACs work. You got to get the retail investors to buy at an astronomical price. And this way, it gives the insiders a chance to, to, to cash out with SPACs, right? A lot earlier, right? So they, they sell you this good you know, bill of goods. Everything's great, whatever. We saw that market crash, and a lot of these guys made a fortune for where retail investors got wrecked. However, even with the IPO market, where Robinhood came out or Coinbase came out, some of these companies, they came out at stupid, crazy valuations. A lot of these things down 80%. But when you IPO, what you're doing is you're raising a ton of cash. These companies right now are down 80% plus sitting on balance sheets with tons of cash, and they're still growing. They're not growing at the 50, 60, 70% when they came out. They're no longer trading at 60 times sales. Now they're down considerably sitting on a massive pile of cash that they raised for their IPOs. And again, these companies already got hit. Now they're in a position to really buy assets, to really you – know, you, the balance sheet is going to be extremely, extremely important going forward. And these companies have great balance sheets, and plus you're seeing growth. You're still seeing growth. It's slowed. But they're still growing much faster than the market. The only thing that's changed is they're down 80%, which is pretty much the price they should have came out the IPO at. But again, they want to screw you and make investment fees. That's how Wall Street works. Uh, Coinbase is one. So you may say, well, you know, Binance US has a you know, competing platform. It's great. Uh, and you see higher fees on Coinbase. And now you're seeing users decline because what we saw at a Bitcoin for the first time ever in the last three months when the market was going crazy, it was kind of stable at 20000 and that's the number one reason that people complain why they don't like Bitcoin in their portfolios because it's all over the place. And yet it's been kind of stable. Uh, the volatility has been. Uh, but now you have Fidelity with trillions of assets that's going to have access to it for the first time. You're going to have BlackRock, which just signed a deal with them to, to, for their Aladdin platform. And that's $21 trillion, which is on their platform, uh, I think, a quarter ago. It's a lot less than that, the assets, I imagine, since the market's gotten crushed. Mm -hmm. uh, but what you're looking at is a company that's sitting on $6 billion in cash. And their market cap is, what, $14 billion, $13 billion. They're going to see users go down, which doesn't matter. They said they're going to change their metrics, and they should because 70% of their trading is now institutional. 
of course, you're going to see trading come down. So when you look at the metrics and you're looking at a company sitting with that much cash in a market with crypto where the biggest companies in the world have chosen Coinbase as the company that they want to have the custody of their funds in crypto is important. And one major catalyst for them and some of these crypto companies is USDT is now the ultimate stable coin. That's kind of like the money market account that you put in if you don't want to buy Bitcoin or leave it in Bitcoin. And you could transfer money. That's big, even bigger. It's an even bigger. But isn't isn't there a concern? Isn't there a concern somewhere in this that when the regulators get involved? And by the way, can you speak up a little bit? You're kind of getting softer and softer as we get through this thing. It's like how's that better? Yeah, but you're like getting quieter and quieter. It's like you're moving away, drifting off into a. <laughs> I don't know where you're going. Uh, I think but, it's turning me down because I'm so negative for the first time. Yeah, is that what it is? So. Yeah. Uh, with regard to Coinbase and these platforms that trade coins, crypto, anything you want to call them, isn't there something to be said about the potential for if regulation happens or commoditization of the trading like we saw with payment for order flow and the, and, and the mm -hmm. years building up to that where we went from, you know, $75 ticket charge to, you know, $395? What happens to Coinbase if, in fact— because there is no transparency and there is no way to really check how much they're charging, but it gets to a point that there is more competition and they have to reduce, you know, reduce their rates dramatically. Yeah. Reduce their rates dramatically. That's why the stock is down so much. But the fact that if you look at BlackRock, you look at Fidelity, you look at the biggest institution in the Goldman Sachs, right? They, and I'll probably get in trouble saying this, but it's the truth. That's why I'll get in trouble for it. Uh, you know, they basically know everything that's going on with the SEC. If you look at all the top executives at SEC, they don't pay you that much. And what happens is Goldman Sachs and all these JP Morgans, they hire top people at the SEC, and then, you know, they know what's going on more than ever, right? So uh, if you could, and that's data that's available, right? That's fact. So if you look at so many people from the SEC who moved up in the highest positions now work for the biggest firms. Hey, like that. So the fact that BlackRock <laughs> and Fidelity and others are choosing Coinbase and putting money through Coinbase tells me that they know that that's going to be the absolute platform. Plus they're regulated, right? They are regulated under... Yeah, they didn't do this offering under under a token. They did it just through the IPO. So they've regulated the numbers. That the company itself is regulated, but what they do is not. For example, that would be the equivalent of saying that, I'm just going to make this up, okay? Uh, ABC Food Company is publicly traded and regulated by the SEC. However, the food that they actually serve does not, for whatever reason, have to be regulated by the FDA or any other health Correct. authority. But you know who who knows that that food is regulated is the insiders in the industry, which is the Black Rocks and the Fidelis. If you so what you're inferring is that because the, that, I'm not worried about regulatory concerns when it comes to Coinbase. Right, but what you're inferring is that the the plus side of this story is that many of the insiders or no people that are in the know have attached themselves to this company. Therefore, they are feeling that this is a a smooth sale. In this direction, a smooth sale to the point that they're not worried about the regulatory concerns. Correct. And here's I mean, the point where I was yeah. this is important if you want to buy Coinbase because now what you're thinking right now is exactly how a lot of people are thinking. And you can see hidden value. The hidden value here is with the stable coin USDT, because they're the largest holders of USDT, the interest that they're going to receive on that this year is going to be $1.2 billion. That's free money because rates are going higher. And they are going to be able to generate that much interest. Because USDT of does not provide yield, right? Yeah, but you, the USDT, by holding it and by staking it, by holding it, it provides a yield. And their yield, because they have it on record, right? So say you, if you have Bitcoin or if you have other, you, you could stake them and hold them and you'll earn a higher interest, right? And companies got in trouble for that. But USDT is becoming 
the stable coin of everybody. But is it going to be a stable coin or one of these other shenanigan no, deals? No, it's where a leverage? stable coin that that's linked to the dollar. That that's what all the okay. institutions are using right now. USDT. That's what they're using right now. As long as and, right? and, and, and but, but, but all the major ones. But if I hold it, do I get an income? You will get an income for USDT if you stake it, meaning that you're holding it and it, it's staked, right? So that means that you got to hold it for a certain a certain period. So it's like and a because CD. They're hold, just like yeah, exactly. So just like. Uh, if you're looking at, at yeah, exactly like a CD. Yeah, that's a great example. But the amount of money that they're going to generate is, think about $1.2 in profits and how much that is. And it's not like a bank, right? Because when interest rates go higher, they make the spread, right? The net interest margin. However, they still have to pay a little bit to you, to, to consumers. They haven't yet in, in some accounts, but you're right. seeing you know, yields go higher. That's the point. They you guys don't you know. have to do that. So, so, the so, how, that- how, so, so this is actually, th- this could be a really interesting turnaround story if one- we scratch the notion that uh, that that, and even if a lot of these altcoins go away, they're still the 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 main players out there, right? Yeah, Not to mention some right. of the guys like an Elon, who's already you know doing what he can to get Dogecoin going, right? Yep. Um, and w- which we know is ridiculous, but you know he just likes to play games because he's like four years old. But nonetheless, uh, we we have if if all these go away, you still have the majors. We're calling the majors, the minors, the majors. And then, so that if we if we put that aside, that that we're worried about it going away, and we put aside the regulatory concern about that going away, and we put aside the issue about the breaking the buck and the concern about the liquidity slash uh, so, uh, 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 quality of of uh, of a stablecoin of some of some sort, um, or frankly, you can hold it in dollars there too. But if we put that aside, all those things, maybe what you're saying is the I don't know about the lows, but some of the concerning factors that were the headwinds for this company are really gone. Here's your thesis. It's very simple. When I look at a company, I want to see why everybody hates it. People think, you know, crypto is going, there's terrible crypto companies. You worry about regulation. This company, I'm not worried about regulation, especially when I see BlackRock and Fidelity, who does all their research and has insights, everything, uh, using them for custody. Uh, and signing to and Google just signed with Cloud, right? With Cloud, with, with um, can you speak up? Where are you? What happened to you? Where'd you go? I don't know. I don't know why it's coming down. So Coinbase, <laughs> let me let me speak louder for you guys. Thank but you. Coinbase, the bearish thesis on Coinbase was that okay, well, regulatory concerns are coming, and you know the stock's too high, and valuation. I'm not too sure about. If you're a believer in crypto, it's going to go high. Well, all the innovation mm-hmm. is coming from through Web three, right? It, which is incredible. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're a believer of that in the next five years, that Bitcoin's going to go higher, which a lot of this happened and it's been 20, holding 20 for a while. If you're a believer, it's going to go higher. Coinbase is going to be a massive beneficiary because they have six over $6 billion in liquidity. They only have $150 million in payments over the next five years. They're not going out of business anytime soon. And now with this interest income, it puts them in a place to buy lots of crypto assets that are at dirt cheap prices right now, which is FTX is doing and also Binance. And they, that's where you want to be. Just like cryptos happened, the, the crash in crypto happened before we saw, we're seeing this crash. Yes, the market's down. I think can go down further. When you're in a position like Coinbase and Binance and FTX, where you're able to buy assets, great assets, because companies had bad management teams and they were aggressive. That's where you want to be as an investor. And you're going to have that chance next year where you want to have cash in order to buy these assets because assets are going to be a lot cheaper. So you opened the door when you said uh, Web3. Can we just for a moment talk about Zuck and what's yeah. going on at Meta? Meta and 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 yep. is he absolutely, did, did he, did he, is he lost his marbles? Uh, I think he's smart because he's transitioning. And I want you guys to understand that what he's doing is not the metaverse. Okay. The metaverse is, 
an open source platform that we could all go on. We own our own content. We could build on it. Yes, there's going to be regulation behind it by a company. But, you know, if you want to track data, you got to check boxes are checked. Not like now we just go to a website and, and just by viewing it, they, you automatically accept the, the agreement. But he knew it was coming down the pipeline in terms of Apple and how and advertising. And at least he's transitioning because Google's not really transitioning. They, they got a little revenue coming in from the cloud, but search is down. That's their business, search. Right. And what are they going to do? So I like the transition, but make no mistake that what he's creating is a massive virtual platform where he still wants to collect data off of it and have advertising dollars and stuff like that through there because it's providing a better experience when you're on your phone or whatever. Right. We saw TikTok, when you provide a better experience, it takes up some of your time and that results in lots of uh, advertising dollars. So what he's doing, how fast he's going into it, I think it's funny when people say, oh, this metaverse is BS and garbage. This I've been covering this for two, three years. The stuff that I'm seeing in the metaverse, true metaverse, which is an open platform. You own your own content. You can make money. It gives individual rights, which is what the internet was supposed to be. is incredible. What he's creating is a virtual platform. That's not the metaverse. So will it work out? I know people who doubted him in the past, especially when he bought Instagram at a billion. They wanted to have his head in the platter, and that's still worth more than $100 billion. I just think you know, with the advertising market really crashing, that's hurting them anyway. And he's, he is taking some of that cash to, to put into his massive virtual platform. I think he's going to be right and eventually work out. It'll provide a better experience, but that's not really the metaverse, guys. I know it, you know people don't understand it yet. You will trust me, and we are making major investments in that from our side. We invested over five million dollars in virtual real estate for a company called TCG, which I believe in. That's going to be available next year. Uh, it's an amazing platform. I've seen its technology. I've talked to hundreds of people, top people in this industry. It the metaverse is coming. It's going to be amazing. You should put a little bit of money into it. Buy a little virtual real estate here and there for a couple hundred dollars. This way it doesn't hurt you. But, you know, make no mistake, what they're doing at Meta is not really a metaverse. That's more of a virtual platform because they yeah. still want so There's a big difference. There's a big money. difference. And, and But you got to admit that he's coughing up a lot of dough to do it. It is. If you don't think that, you know, Web3 or whatever, and it's BS, millennials are 40 now. They're 40 years old. Makes us appear pretty old, right? But- they grew up 100% in the digital world, right? If you look at your kids and you see them play on Roblox, you see them play on Minecraft, you see them play on Fortnite, which most kids do, and how they're able to build their developers already. This is how they grew up. I don't even know what they're doing. That's the future. Now they can build things and make money off of it. That's the future of the web. That's Web3, payment systems without third parties. Uh, you know, That's where Bitcoin comes in. I mean, this is revolutionary. There's a reason why $170 billion has, spent, has been spent this year, one of the worst markets ever, uh, on the metaverse. And that money is coming from the big companies that own the internet, which is a lot of the fang names. There's a reason. They see the transition coming. It is coming. It could take a little bit longer than expected. But this is something where I think five years from now, just investing a little bit in different plays here, you're going to be very, very happy because it's going to be the biggest growth market in the world. Mm, interesting. we got to cut it right there. But uh, as always, uh, Frank Curzio giving us all sorts of great information. I got a list of stock names and tickers that you've provided us, which is amazing, covering everything from uh, we talk about the metaverse and the non-metaverse. And we talk about earnings. Uh, we talk about some crypto. We kind of got it all in there. We got, you've got energy in there and Wow, a lot mm -hmm. of good discussions. Frank, where can people uh, get a hold of you? Where can they get your subscriptions to your fabulous newsletters? Thanks so much. If you want, we're offering a, the Money Flow Trader newsletter, the one that bets against the market where, where you buy long data puts, is a $5,000 newsletter, and a lot of people didn't subscribe to it. So we offered a three-month uh, subscription for $4.99, and it's selling like crazy, and I'm glad because uh, I think a lot of people are going to do well on that. You can find that offer on our website, crazyresearch.com. Or you can listen to me for free, do my own podcast, Wall Street Unplugged, which we do three times a week. 
uh, yeah, that's the easiest way to get a hold of us. And uh, feel free to email me, frankcurzonresearch.com too. I like answering emails and seeing what everything's out there. And uh, it's a very, we very still good use your Gmail address on the uh, show notes page. Is that okay? Uh, use the frankcurzonresearch.com. Uh, Frank, Kurt, let's go slowly because Frank has a way of Frank, swallowing his words. Frank at Curzio Research. Com. All right, we'll, we'll update that on the <laughs> website, too. Thank you so much, slow. Mr. Curzio, for joining me today. Thanks, Andrew. I really appreciate the invite, buddy. All right, see you soon. Bye. All right, take care. And then we'll wrap it up for our discussion with Frank Curzio. <laughs> Always a good time. Always lots to talk about. Check out the show notes on thedisciplineinvestor.com, and you'll find out more how to get in touch with Frank, how to find out what we do here and how we can help you. And of course, uh, please stay uh, current with the episodes because we have a lot more to talk about, a lot of great guests, a lot of great insights. So thank you for all your emails. Thank you for all your comments. Thank you for all your loyalty and being here each and every week. And I'll be right back at you next week with another edition of the Discipline Investor Podcast. See you soon. Bye-bye. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition... The information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice, or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results, and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training.